Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is July the 22nd, and our chapter for today is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. Now, just simply because we are entering into a new time period of study together as we go through the New Testament together, we're going to learn a lot of terms and we're going to review and we're going to get back to the background of how we got to where we are. Now, I have made three other podcasts that deal with a summary of the entire Tanakh, the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings, what we call the Old Testament. I have reviewed the intertestamental period. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that He might redeem those of us who are under the law, Galatians 4.4. That's another podcast. And then I have given you a podcast that just deals with the terms that arose during that intertestamental period of groups of people that you read about over and over again in the New Testament and many times have no idea who these people are, where they came from, what they believe, what were their significance. All of these things are very important for us to understand the milieu and the context of the Word of God that we call the New Testament. In Hebrew, it is Berit Hadashah, that is the new covenant, the covenant, the new one. And so as we go through the Gospels, we're going to find out more and more about who this Messiah is. His name is Yeshua in Hebrew. We call him Jesus because that is the way that we anglicize it. We make it English. There is no J in Hebrew, so it is Yeshua. It is short for Yahashua. That is the name of Joshua. All of these words mean the same thing. They mean salvation. And that is, remember, this is what the angel of the Lord said to Joseph. You shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, because he will save his people from their sins. So who is this Matthew? Well, Matthew was a tax collector. He was also called Levi in Mark chapter 2 and verse 14. He was a Jewish tax collector. He was a publican. He worked for the Roman government. He was not liked. And because he was a laborer with the Romans, he was despised. And he would have been one of the people that you didn't want to talk a lot with and be seen around. But Jesus loved those kind of people. And he reached out to them and asked them to turn from their ways, their wicked ways, just like everyone else and to come to follow him. That event took place in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9. Now I want to say at the outset, I want to lay some groundwork for what we're going to be studying as we go through the four Gospels. We're not going to be able, of course, to study every chapter, but as we go through these chapters, you're going to see themes developing. And I want to remind you of some basic interpretive propositions that you need to get in your heart. 
Remember, the Bible is a Jewish book. It is written by Jews to Jews, primarily for Jews. Now, I know you haven't heard that in a while, but when we get into the Gospels, the Gospels will not make sense. The dots will not connect until you remember that this is a Jewish book written through the lens of a Jewish eye, spoken through the language of the New Testament. And so as we read through these pages, we're going to connect the dots the very best we can to help you to understand the Bible in its historical context. One thing I want you to remember that is very important that we must not forget, every Bible writer from Moses to John, that is from the Torah, from the five books of instruction to the last book of the Bible written by the Apostle John, all the books in between. Every Bible writer assumed, believed that the people to whom they were writing understood the language. They understood the history. They understood the historical context. They understood the geography of the land. They understood the entire cultural background. Now, that's important for us because we are not Middle Eastern. We are not Jewish. We are not looking at things except through any eye or lens that we know, and that is English and Western thought. And so what I'm going to try to do is help you to understand the Bible as it was written. Matthew, just like every other person that was called to follow Jesus, it seems that he was just talking with Jesus, and all of a sudden, Jesus said, come follow me, giving sometimes the impression that was the first time they ever met. It wasn't, I assure you. This was a small community. Matthew was a Jew. Yes, he was a publican. Yes, he worked for the Roman government. Yes, he was a tax collector, but he was a Jew. He knew what was going on. Josephus Flavius said that from where Bethsaida is or thereabouts down to below Tiberias, there were 10 tax stations. Why? Because these were fishing villages and every fish that was caught, every mile that was walked, everything that was sold, there were taxes to be collected. You remember at one time, Jesus even had Peter to go catch a fish and pay the taxes with the fish and the coin that was found in its mouth. And Jesus himself said, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar and unto God that which is God. In other words, pay your taxes. So yes, the tax collectors could be brutal. Yes, they could be cheats and swindlers. And indeed some were. But Matthew was doing a job. He was uh, doing a government job and being paid for it. So we have to be careful to condemn him. Jesus did not do that, but he called him alongside. And so this brings up another hermeneutical or interpretive principle that we must remember. The Gospels and all biblical narratives are not complete in detail. That is, they don't give us a blow-by-blow color commentary on every event that happened in the life of Jesus. Now, don't forget this, and it will help you to understand the Gospels. The Gospels are written episodically. Let me say that again. The Gospels are written episodically. That means they're written in events and episodes. But if we took all of the life of Jesus and put it together, as it is recorded, it would not even fill up one week. If we took all of the events that are recorded about the life of Jesus 
in the Gospels, those events would not fill up one week of time. So a lot of things went on behind the scenes. Why are those details not told? The reason is why I just said to you that the Bible is filled with assumptions. Every Bible writer assumed that the people knew some things. Now, if Matthew, for instance, was sitting at the tax station that was near Capernaum, he would have known everything that was going on. As a matter of fact, he probably carried on several conversations with Jesus before Jesus ever said to him, come follow me. He had heard of the great miracles that took place in the synagogue. He had heard of the great miracles that took place in the house and the houses and the streets of Capernaum and all of the cities of the northern Galilee. Because why? He was a tax collector. People were not running by his tax station in 60-mile-an-hour chariots, throwing in money toward him. He was not a toll station. He was a tax collector, and so he talked with people, and people talked with him. And no doubt Jesus was well known to him. And so there came a time after a conversation that they had had, and God only knows how many they had before, but in the vicissitudes of life, just as they were doing life together, Jesus said, come follow me, and he left all to follow him. I believe this is what happened with Peter and James and John and uh, Andrew as they mended their nets by the great lake called Canaret, the Sea of Galilee. They were mending their nets. Jesus came by and said, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. I do not believe in any wise that was the first conversation they had had. I believe they knew the Lord. They had seen his miracles. They had seen what he was doing. And when he came to them and said, it's time, come follow me, they left all and followed him. They knew him. They knew about him. They knew what he had done. And over and over again, we have to remind ourselves that these were small places. One of the great marvels that people are astonished by when they go to Israel with me and we walk the land together and we drive the land together and we are out on the boat on the Sea of Galilee. They sometimes think that is a saltwater, a huge sea like the Mediterranean. It's a freshwater lake, the lowest freshwater lake on the planet. It's 700 feet below the level of the Mediterranean. That's right, 700 feet below sea level. It's a freshwater lake. It's not called the Sea of Galilee by the Jews and the Israelis. It wasn't in ancient times, and it is not in modern times. It is called the Canaret, the little harp, if you will. The word Kenor is the word for harp in Hebrew. And if you look at the Sea of Galilee, even in the maps in the back of your Bible, if you will turn it a certain way, you will see it is shaped like a harp. That's right, like David's harp like an ancient or a modern harp. And so it's called Harp Lake. It's a freshwater lake. It has about 27 species of fish. And uh, the most common today is the same that was the most common during the days of Jesus. And that was the freshwater sardine, more than likely, not much longer than your index finger. And this is probably what the boy had when he gave his fishes and his loaves to Jesus to multiply. He had salted sardines. As a matter of fact, at Magdala, I'll not get into a lot of detail here, but at Magdala, where Mary Magdalene came from, 
Mary of Migdal. Migdala, Migdal is the word for towers, a fishing towers, a great fishing village just down the road in the Gennesaret Valley from Capernaum, just south of there toward Tiberias. And uh, they have uncovered, and uh, many of you have been with me when we've walked through those ancient fish processing ruins, and the Romans uh, did a healthy business and trade with them. And so more than likely, that is what they were fishing for most of the time. Now, they would have fished for what we also call tilapia. More than likely, that was what the fish was that had the coin in its mouth. It was certainly not a freshwater sardine because the coin is about as big as that fish. And so all I'm saying to you is these were the commonalities of the day, and people knew this. And so the Gospel of Matthew is a gospel written by a man who was a tax collector, who was despised, rejected by the community. He probably was a man of means and certainly a steady income, but Jesus touched his life and Jesus spoke with him and was kind to him and good to him when no one else does. Isn't it amazing how that Jesus gave us the example of how we treat people with dignity and respect, no matter what their occupation is. And uh, this is why he told the stories of those who were rejects. And when the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians was writing to them, he said, God doesn't call many of noble birth, and the word there is of good DNA, but God calls the rejects, the discards. You see, that's what I am. I am a reject. I was a discard of our culture and society. I was a throwaway kid, but God loves throwaway kids. God loves people that culture discards because you see he's in the business of taking nobodies and doing something in their lives and turning their lives around. God is the God of the reject because you see we're made in his image and even though that image is greatly marred by sin, God wants to take us and make us his own and he did that with Matthew. And so as we read through Matthew's gospel, as a matter of fact, the word gospel is the word good news, euangelion, the word euangelion is a compound word. It is the word eu, which means good. A eulogy is a good word. That's you and then logos or logeo. And uh, to say something good or to speak something good, a good word, well-spoken But the word euangelion is the you, good or well, attached to the word angelos, which is the word for messenger or message. An angel is a messenger, maybe a divine messenger, maybe an earthly messenger, but a messenger. This particular construction and form of the word is the message, not the messenger. So what is the euangelion, the evangelion? It is the good message, the good news. And so the good news is that the Savior has come, the Messiah has come. Just one word more about Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 says this is the book of the genealogy, of the ancestry, of the background, of the DNA of Jesus the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Anointed One. He is the son of David, the son of Abraham. We're going to see that phrase over and over again in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus, the son of David. Why David? Why Abraham? 
because David was the greatest king that Israel had ever had. As a matter of fact, he was so great that all other kings were measured by David as to whether they were a good king or a bad king. Not whether they walked in the ways of the Lord, but whether they walked in the ways of their father David. Why? Because it was synonymous with walking in the ways of the Lord. You say, oh yes, but he messed up. Well, he did. He messed up and because he was a king, he messed up royally. But you see, God doesn't look at David through his sin. He looks at him through his obedience. He looks at him through the lens of grace and mercy and chesed. And because of that, God says about David, he is a man after my own heart. And he calls himself by his name, even in the last book of the Bible, in the last few verses, Jesus himself refers to himself as the root and offspring of David. No, the Lord's not ashamed of David. We are because we're perverted in our own minds. We are wicked in our own minds. And we look at the bad and all the bad that someone does instead of looking at the good. God looks at the good. He takes care of the bad. God looks at what's in our lives and he sees what we can be in him, not what we are without him or when we walk astray from him. And by the way, aren't you glad of that? And so he is referred to as the king. The epitaph that is put on the cross is, this is the king of the Jews. And we'll talk more about that in the days ahead. But I pray that this is a good beginning for you. Let's read through all of these chapters together in the New Testament as we walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.